The following message is by Pastor Brandon Dyer of Windsor Christian Fellowship. For more information on our church, visit www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 is where we're going to be this morning. By the way, if you do not have a Bible, again, I want to make mention that we have white Bibles on the back table uh, that we want you to have. That is our gift to you if you do not have one. Um, If you're using a pew Bible this morning, uh, that may be one of the black ones around you, we're going to be on page 815 in the pew Bible. But this morning I want to talk to you about the danger and the comfort of mission. Last week we looked at the Galilean mission that Jesus was sending his disciples on, beginning in Matthew chapter 10. So Jesus sent them uh, on this mission throughout the land of Israel, um, in this area where they were, particularly in Galilee. And they were to be sent, as Jesus said, to the lost house of Israel. So they were being sent specifically to those people who were their own kin, their family, their friends, those who they may have known, and then spreading out into other villages and towns throughout the area. So as we... Uh, continue through this discourse in chapter 10, Jesus begins to open the scope a little bit of mission, and he begins to give some instructions and encouragement in the broader mission that they are to go on throughout the rest of their lives, and the mission that we're to be on in our lives, the Great Commission, broadening out that scope and giving further direction um, on this great mission that they would eventually embark on. But this morning, we're going to be beginning in verse 16, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. Jesus says this, beginning in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will all be hated for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we look at this last half of Matthew chapter 10 that you will by your spirit, open our hearts and minds to its great truths. And pray, Lord, that we will leave, as Jeff prayed, with a fuller relationship. A relationship built on more understanding of your word. That presses us closer to you. We thank you for these words of Christ that we have read and we pray again that you will apply them well to our hearts. Pray this in his name. Amen. How many of you were part of a club as a kid? See it. Part of a club. Maybe, maybe even a made-up club. That maybe you, you and a few of your friends got together and decided that you were going to make up a club. And this club, you might have even made a little mark on your hand, got some blood, and wrote your name in blood. This was going to be a club that lasted forever. Well, anyway, me and a, a friend of mine, when we were probably around 12 years old, decided that we were going to make up a club. And it really, it ended up just being the two of us. He had seen some movie of these gangsters with these leather coats and cool guys, apparently, and they stole and they did things that they shouldn't have done. So we decided we were going to model our lives after these guys and, you know, be living on the edge, really. So anyway, we decided that we were going to have this club. I can't remember the name of it. It tells you how significant it was. But we were basically going to be little thieves and steal things. So we figured out how the soda machine at school, how we could slip our hand up there. I won't tell you exactly how to do it. There's children in here. But how to slip your hand up there and get the soda out for free. And then the next person who came along would put their 50 cents. Yes, it was 50 cents for a soda then. Put 50 cents in it and they would hit the button and no soda would come out for them because we had already stolen the soda in that slot. Anyway, you guys didn't ask me about my criminal history before you hired me. (laughs) But thankfully, that didn't last long. But what if here today we were to start a club? All of those of us here, we decided that we were going to band together and start a club. And I said that in order to be a part of this club, you had to be willing to be a part of terrible situations. Situations where you might be questioned, you might be interrogated, you might be brought before the President of the United States and asked questions about different things that our club had been involved with. Or maybe situations where you could quite possibly do something as a a part of our club and then be brought before and beaten because of something you did. Or maybe put in jail. What if I told you that being a part of this club meant that you might lose your family or that nobody will like you? I think it's safe to say that nobody would raise their hand here to be a part of that club. If I said I wanted to start a club with all those kinds of stipulations, guaranteed there wouldn't be anybody sitting here right now. But what we're going to see in this morning's passage is that these terrible things that I've just mentioned are quite possibly in store for those who would be disciples of Jesus. 
As we've gone through Matthew's gospel, we have never once seen Jesus promise the disciples an easy life. We've never seen Jesus promise them a life where everything was going to be great and that they would never have any kind of struggle or any kind of problem. This morning's passage essentially shows us the opposite. In fact, in verse 16, Jesus comes right out of the gate in our passage this morning expressing the danger that would be in store for his disciples. Look again at verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you or, or beat you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So Jesus, first we're coming out and he's expressing the danger of the mission. So this mission and the mission that these disciples are going to be going on throughout the rest of their lives is going to be dangerous. The disciples are being fully warned by Jesus here. From the outset of this first mission that they're going on to their fellow Galileans and then keeping in mind the the commission that they're to go on for the rest of their lives. Jesus is warning them from the get-go bad things are going to happen. It's going to be dangerous. I mean... It's, as go- it's going to be as dangerous, like he says, he's sending them as sheep into the midst of wolves. It's as dangerous as a flock of sheep surrounded by a pack of wolves. This is how dangerous their lives and the mission is going to be. To minister the gospel is going to bring upon them danger. So he tells them, he says, be wise. Be wise and be innocent. In verse 17, he tells them, to beware of men. Like, like any of us who would be in an area where there may be wolves, we would certainly beware if we were camping, you know, where we knew there would be wolves. We would beware. But Jesus tells them not to fear man later on in the passage. But here he says, beware of them. Jesus tells them right up front that, that they would be persecuted both from the Jews and the non-Jews. He says that they will be beaten by their fellow Jews. That they would be brought before Gentile kings and rulers. We see this kind of thing in the Gospels with Jesus and then ultimately in the book of Acts, all throughout the book of Acts, this is what's going on. They're being beaten. They're being brought before kings and rulers and all of the rest. Throughout the book of Acts, we even see Paul. He, he begins, you remember Saul, he begins by persecuting the church. He, he is bringing them into prison. He's having them killed and all of the rest. Eventually, he becomes a Christian himself and he ends up being persecuted and standing for the Jewish and Gentile leaders. So again, exactly what Jesus says is going to happen within these verses is what happens to the disciples. I want to show you an example. Hold your finger in Matthew and turn over to Acts chapter 4. There's a great example here of two disciples going going through exactly what Jesus says they would go through. Jesus says they would stand before Jewish leaders and Gentile leaders. But he says in verses 19 and 20 that they are not to be anxious. They're not to be anxious. What they are to say when they're found in these kinds of situations is going to be given to them by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is going to be the one who speaks through them in these difficult times when they're standing before these leaders. But what we have in Acts chapter 4 are the apostles Peter and John. They were brought before the religious council, and this religious council was growing more and more annoyed with their teaching, with what they were saying about Christ, talking about the resurrection and preaching that, and gathering followers after Christ. So they arrested Peter and John in order to question them and charge them not to speak any more about Jesus. But look in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. 
And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So stop there for one second. So in verse 7, And when they had set them in their midst, again, I'm sending you as sheep into the midst of wolves. Here we go. They are being as sheep now standing in the midst of the Jewish leaders. Then it says in verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So who did Jesus say would speak when the apostles were to stand before the Jewish leaders? The Spirit. And so here, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus said would happen as he's standing before these religious leaders. Jesus keeps his promises. Always important to remember, right? Look again, continuing in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all of you, let it known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So they had healed the crippled man, and they were upset about it. This council was upset about it. So here, Peter, they're standing before them saying that it is by Jesus Christ that this man had been healed. Continue in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they, when this council, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You can turn back to Matthew. So exactly what Jesus said would happen ends up happening to these men. Peter is standing before these Jewish leaders. He's proclaiming Jesus. He's proclaiming the resurrection. Proclaiming that there is salvation in nobody else by which we must be saved. And this would have absolutely been terrifying, would it not? Would you not have been terrified if you were brought before these religious leaders, standing before them and left with just yourself and thinking about your own weaknesses. But here Peter is. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to preach the good news of Jesus to them. So Peter and John are sheep in the midst of wolves, standing before these leaders. But they were not anxious. Instead, the Spirit of God preached through Peter his message to these leaders. Ultimately, all of this leads up to verse 22 in our text in Matthew 10, where he says that they, that his disciples, are going to be hated by all. He says, you disciples are going to be hated by all. Not just a few, not just some, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but you're going to be hated by all. So who here likes to be hated? I like to be hated by anyone. I don't like to be hated by my own enemies if I had any. I wouldn't want to be hated by anybody. Nobody likes to be hated. But why were they going to be? For the, His name's sake. For, this, for the sake of the name of Jesus, right? So He's not sugarcoating anything here. He's being very clear and, and forthright and that ultimately all people are going to hate His disciples and they would be hated not because of themselves, not because they were just easy to hate kind of people. They were going to be hated for His name's sake. I mean, at this point we have to be thinking, like, church planting gurus or whatever. You don't say these kinds of things, right? 
You want to fill up a church with people. You don't tell them that they're going to be hated by people. You don't tell them all the bad things that are going to be happening to them. So we got to be, step back and say, think, Jesus, well, you might want to step back a little bit. You're being a little too serious. You're being a little too forthright with these people. Maybe, maybe kind of slide that in the, in the small print on the document that they sign saying they'll be your disciple. But no, Jesus is forthright with them. This mission that, that he's sending them on is going to be dangerous. Their lives were going to be dangerous. And he was going to be clear with them. But the good news, although they were going to be persecuted for his namesake, the reason that they were being persecuted, the reason that all of this was going to be done with, to them, was for his namesake. For the sake of Jesus. That's what would make all of this persecution and hatred worth it. That it was all because of the name of Jesus. And so, my friends, this world that we live in is not growing in their love of Christ. They're not growing in their love of the teachings of Christ. They're growing in their hatred of what you believe. This passage talks about being hated by all, by both Jews and non-Jews. You bring up the cross of Christ to a Jew and see what happens. You bring up even the cross of Christ to a non-Jew and you see what they say. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that preaching Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and it is foolishness to the Gentiles. If you want to make friends with the world, you don't bring up Jesus. Don't bring up the impact that he has in your life. Don't bring up how he has changed you. Don't bring up the fact that he has died on the cross and that he has rose. If you want to make friends with the world, don't give them, don't tell them what you believe about Jesus. If you want a comfortable relationship with unbelievers, don't start talking about Jesus because the relationship is going to get icy quick. We need to be at a place like Peter and John, how they were in Acts 4, where they eventually say to those leaders, after talking with them, after telling them about Christ, and then they tell them, they say, you guys aren't to talk about Jesus anymore. And their response is, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Can you help but speak about Jesus? In the midst of persecution, could you help but speak about Jesus? Persecution brings fear, doesn't it? Any, any kind of, even the thought of persecution brings immediate fear. Our lives are going to be different. We can't do church like we've always done it. We can't live openly like we always have. The idea of persecution immediately closes us up, closes us up and causes us to be fearful. Jesus knows this, but look what he says in verse 28 of Matthew 10. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. So don't fear people who all they can do is kill your body but cannot kill your soul. Instead, fear God who can kill both your body and soul, who can destroy both your body and soul. Again, you think about the dangerous mission that these apostles were to live and the danger of being a Christian disciple. These 12 disciples were going to be sent all over the globe, proclaiming the message of the gospel. And every single one of them, without exception, were either tortured or martyred. But they weren't to fear those who could kill their body. They weren't to fear those who could throw them into a boiling pot. They, couldn't, they weren't to fear those who would hurt them. They were to fear God. Sin turns everything upside down. And if we're honest, it is very easy to be fearful of people and not to be fearful of God. 
Be honest. Think to yourself, when was the last time when you were overcome with fear and reverence of your holy, sovereign God, and when was the last time that you were afraid of somebody here on earth, some person? If you're like me, you've, you've spent more time being afraid of people than spending time in genuine fear and reverence of God. Jesus is sending these apostles to do the work of the ministry. And it is no secret that the ministry and the proclamation of the gospel and telling people about Jesus is a fearful thing. Who here does not struggle with the fear of man when it comes to telling them about Christ? People scare us. We're always worried about how somebody is going to react. How somebody's going to respond when we start talking about Jesus. Again, we're, we're afraid that the, the waters in that relationship are going to begin to get icy. We're, we're afraid to give the gospel to a coworker or to a friend. And it's not even because we're afraid that they might kill us. Sometimes like we tell somebody the gospel and we're afraid that our coworker is going to put a gun to our head. No. But we worry if they'll receive it. Or if they'll continue to want to be our friend. If you struggle with the fear of man and you want to be freed from that, then work on your fear and reverence of God and that will take care of itself. But Jesus says, do not fear them. Don't fear man. Instead, you must fear God. And this isn't to be afraid of God and to cower away from God, but to reverence him and to have a holy fear and acknowledgement of his holiness. So Jesus says to these disciples, you may be brought before religious leaders, and they were. You may be brought before kings and rulers of the world, questioning you about your faith, and they eventually were. Families are going to be at each other's throats, and they were. All are going to hate you, but fear not. Don't be afraid. What's the worst they can do to you? They can't destroy your soul. They can't take your soul from your body and cast it into hell. They can't take your eternal life uh, uh, with Christ. The only thing that they can do to you is send you to Jesus faster. So don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Don't fear these people. Now, if you're anything like me, that's a tall order to ask. Somebody claims that they're going to try to kill me. I'm going to panic. That initial human response. But Jesus says, don't fear. We shouldn't fear. But how do we keep from being fearful? How do we keep from being fearful? How do, how do we stay away from... How, how do we keep from being fearful when somebody threatens us? Particularly in times of persecution. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So your comfort in the midst of persecution must be the sovereignty of God. Although there would be danger for these disciples, and although there may be danger for us, Christ directs us to the fact that God is sovereign and that God is looking out for us. I've talked with many Christians throughout the years and it's almost shocking how many times I've heard God's sovereignty just being downplayed. God's, yeah, God's sovereign and there's always like a but. No, no, God is sovereign over everything. Is he in complete control or is he not in complete control? I mean, sometimes you hear people 
They don't even mean it. But we often act like God is simply one of the players in our lives instead of the absolute orchestrator of our lives. And frankly, I don't know how somebody lives without waking up every morning and realizing that God is sovereign over their day, that God is sovereign over their lives in every single speck of your life. Is God sovereign or is he not? Does he have ultimate power? Does he have ultimate control? Does he have ultimate authority over every atom on the planet or does he not? And if all of this is true, and if God is sovereign, how does this affect your everyday life? When you're on mission and you're struggling with the fear of man and you're afraid that you might die, what is the comfort that the disciples should have had in their lives? What is the comfort that Windsor Christian Fellowship, the people that make up this body, what is the comfort that we should have? It's got to be the sovereignty of God, that He has you, that nothing can happen to you unless God lets it happen to you, and nothing will happen to you unless He is fully involved and there and has your eye on Him, His eye on you. The example Jesus gives us is, is, is almost... It's purposefully tiny and, in my mind, almost a little silly. He gives an example of a couple little birds. You think of a sparrow. How many times have you seen a a small little bird, a small little sparrow, not even given one thought about it? Jesus even says, you can buy two for a penny. These things are basically worthless. I'm not talking about an eagle. I'm not talking about some kind of cool, exotic bird like an ostrich. We're talking about sparrows. And Jesus says that the eye of the Father is on every sparrow. That not one of these sparrows falls to the ground, with even falling to their death, without the Father knowing. He brings up the hairs on our head. When you're washing your hair in the morning and a few hairs fall out, you probably don't really think too much about it, but God knows how many came out and how many hairs that you still have. So why in the world are you fearing? The one who is taking care of the little birds. The one who is taking care of you. He's doing it. He is sovereign. But look again at verse 31 to see why you should not fear. Fear not, he says in verse 31. You are of more value than many sparrows. He says many sparrows. You're not just more valuable than a couple. You're more valuable than many. God is sovereign And he values you. Let that truth sink in. God is sovereign over all things. And he values you. The world may not value you. You may lose value in the eyes of your friends and family. For trusting in Jesus and living a life patterned after him. But God values you. Do you think that this fact would change your day when you wake up? In the morning, that you are valued, not not because you value yourself like Oprah would tell you to do, but that God values you. God values me, not because of anything good that I've done, not because I've made myself valuable in His eyes. God values us because He has created us in His image and He has given us His Son who is worth infinite. He is of an infinite value. So why are you fearful? Why are you anxious? Why are you so worried? Why are you afraid of people who can merely kill your body? You have a sovereign God who values you. 
the danger of the mission. Persecution will come to these disciples. And we also may very well encounter it. And we need to be prepared for persecution. But look, look with me next in verses 37 to 39 for the cost of the mission. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a hard saying. If you love your father or mother more than you love Jesus, you are not worthy to be a disciple. If you love your son or daughter more than you love Jesus, you are not worthy to be his disciple. Is Jesus saying that you should not love your parents? Some of your parents are sitting here. Some of your children are sitting here. My own. Is Jesus saying you shouldn't love your parents? Is Jesus saying you shouldn't love your children? No. But if you love them more than you love Jesus, you are not worthy of him. There are aspects of serving and loving our children and serving and loving our parents that are quite in line with God's word and quite in line with being a true disciple of Jesus. But are those groups of people hindering you and pulling you away from pursuing after Christ with singular devotion. Jesus expects your full devotion and your full attention. Jesus doesn't want half of your heart. He wants all of you. He wants your total commitment. He wants all of your love. And he's not saying this because he's some sort of egotistical maniac. Everybody needs to love me more than they love their parents and their children. He's not saying it because he himself is egotistical. He's saying it because he is worthy of it. He elevates discipleship even further where he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of me. This is the first time the word cross is used in the book of Matthew. Ultimately, a cross is what Jesus would hang on until his death. The cross, as we'll see later in this Gospel. It was an unusually gruesome form of torture. It was an instrument of death. It was the worst form of death imaginable. Imagined, even in this time, the cross was designed to cause a long period of agony before you finally died. And Jesus says, grab your cross and follow me. Going up to this cross right here, right? Take, pulling it out of its stand. Putting it on your back and following after Jesus, do you think that that would be easy? No. This is like somebody saying, grab, grab a hangman's noose, tighten it up, and begin following after me. Like somebody saying, grab your electric chair and follow me. Like somebody saying, grab the syringe and the fluid needed for uh, a lethal injection and follow after me. And if you don't pick up your cross and you follow after Jesus, regardless of what it costs you, then you're not worthy to be a disciple. It's so important that Jesus says this in this context, talking about persecution. It's so important for him to begin addressing being a follower of him and picking up your cross and following after him because it's during times of persecution where we are so prone to dropping the cross and finding an easier way. But if you drop your cross and you don't persevere to the end, then you are not worthy of Jesus and he's going to deny you before the Father, which is Way worse than anything that could happen on earth. Bearing your cross and following after Jesus is the singular most important thing that you can do with your life. As one commentator said, discipleship is not a matter of life and death. It is much more serious than that. 
Many Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have been killed for taking up their cross and following after Jesus, and it's still happening. Before the Apostle Paul was saved, he was a Christian killer. The ruthless Emperor Nero in the first century where these disciples were really beginning to spread the gospel, he was killing Christians like crazy. You scan the pages of church history, you have 2,000 years of church history, you scan those pages, you see martyr after martyr. You pull up Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you can just read death after death after death of people who picked up their cross, followed after Jesus, literally following him to their death. I'm reading about William Tyndale, who lived 500 years ago. And if you have an English Bible in your hands, you owe William Tyndale for having that Bible in your hands. This man, when he was 30 years old, he left England in order to escape from the very possible persecution that would come upon him for translating God's Word. He wanted God's Word to be held by normal people like you and like me. And so he went off and he translated God's Word. Eventually he was captured and he was brought to back to England, and he was suffocated with a chain, and his body was burned. We had a prayer vigil for Pastor Saeed Abedini, who is currently imprisoned in Iran for being a Christian. Even in our own country, a month or two ago in Nevada, a gunner walks around asking if you're a Christian, and he kills you if you are. But we've completely sucked away any kind of persecution from our American Christianity church bubble. But following Jesus has always been about following him, not to prosperity and to a life of ease, but following him to the death. Following Jesus can be and is very costly. It makes sense that following a man who he himself received the death penalty would bring upon ourselves persecution and trials as well. Yet as he lays out in verses 40 to 42, there will be support in this mission. Those who receive us as we go about spreading the gospel also receive Christ. Those who give to these disciples and us as we go about our way uh, spreading the gospel, they will be rewarded. But have you heard the word of your king this morning? He was sending these disciples out like sheep into the midst of wolves. And he has done the same with us. There may be intense situations. There may be times where we are placed in situations where we are scared to testify about Christ. As we continue throughout this life and the hatred of Christ and the message of the cross continues to be hated and we begin to be hated ourselves, are we going to endure? When the persecution arises, and are we going to fear those who can simply kill our bodies or are we going to be sure that we remain steadfast in reverent fear of God and not man? Are we going to trust in His sovereignty, knowing that nothing can happen to you unless God allows it and He will be there to uphold you? Are we going to pick up our cross no matter the cost? Are we going to continue following after the one who did not put His cross down, but who bore it willingly on our behalf? My friends, being a disciple of Jesus is costly, but He is worthy of it all. If you're planning on digging in and becoming serious about these kinds of things and being resolute about Christ when the persecution comes, it won't happen. Now is the time to be resolute in your faith. Now is the time to dig in and to be serious about Christ. Now is the time to declare your singular allegiance to Christ, to put your cross on your back and begin walking, knowing that no matter what happens to you, that our sovereign God has you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. 
we can trust in you as our sovereign God, knowing that nothing can befall us as your children unless you allow it to happen. And during those situations that you will truly uphold us with your hand as our Father. Lord, we, we trust and we know that you didn't promise some sort of life of big prosperity and ease. The gospel message can often cause our relationships to in an earthly way suffer. But Lord, I pray that you'll give us boldness to declare your truth to others. That we will not fear man. That we will remain steadfast in our fear and reverence of you. I pray, God, that you will give us more and more fear of you. That we can honor you supremely with our lives as we go about making disciples. I pray this all in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this message by Brandon Dyer, pastor of Windsor Christian Fellowship in Windsor, Maine. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge them or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our church online at www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. There, you'll find sermons and other information about our church. If you have a need or would like further information, call 242 242- 0126 or email us at wcfmaine at gmail.com Our mailing address is Windsor Christian Fellowship 11 Reed Road, Windsor, Maine 04363 Windsor Christian Fellowship exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through the evangelization of unbelievers and the edification of believers so that all might be glad in God.